Book four, chapter four of the History of Sir Richard Calmady. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Anne Fletcher, Richmond, Tasmania, two thousand and twenty. The History of Sir Richard Calmady by Lucas Mallet. Book four, chapter four. A lesson upon the eleventh commandment. Parents, obey your children. A family council was in the course of holding in the lofty white-and-gold boudoir overlooking the park in Albert Gate. Lady Louisa Barking had summoned it. She had also exercised a measure of selection among intending members. For instance, Lady Margaret and Lady Emily, the former having a disposition, in the opinion of her elder sister, to put herself forward and support the good cause with more zeal than discretion, and the latter being but a weak-kneed supporter of the cause at best were summarily dismissed it was really perfectly unnecessary to discuss this sort of thing before the younger girls she said it put them out of their place and rather rubbed the freshness off their minds and then they would chatter among themselves and it all became a little foolish and missy they never knew when to stop one member of the quail family and that a leading one had taken his dismissal before it was given, and, with a nice mixture of defective moral courage and good common sense, had removed himself bodily from the neighbourhood of the scene of action. Lord Shotover was still in London. Along with the payment of his debts had come a remarkable increase of cheerfulness. He made no more allusions to the unpleasant subject of cutting his throat, while the proposed foreign tour had been relegated to a vague future it seemed a pity not to see the season out it would be little short of a crime to miss goodwood he might go out with dacia to india in the autumn when that young soldier's leave had expired and look guy up a bit he would rather like a turn at pig-sticking and there were plenty of pig he understood in the neighbourhood of agra where his brother was now stationed on the morning in question lord shotover in excellent spirits had walked down piccadilly with his father from his rooms in jermyn street to albert gate the elder gentleman arriving from westchurch by an early train had solaced himself with a share of the by no means ascetic breakfast of which his eldest son was partaking at a little after half-past ten it was very much too good a breakfast for a person in lord shotover's existing financial position so indeed were the rooms so in respect of locality was jermyn street itself lord fallowfield knew this no man better yet he was genuinely pleased impressed even by the luxury with which his erring son was surrounded and proceeded to praise his cook praise his valet's waiting at table praise some fine old sporting prints upon the wall he went so far indeed as to chuckle discreetly immaculately faithful husband though he was over certain photographs of ladies more fair and kind than wise which were stuck in the frame of the looking-glass over the chimney-piece in return for which acts of good fellowship lord shotover accompanied him as far as the steps of the mansion in albert gate there he paused remarking with the most disarming frankness i would come in i want to awfully i assure you i quite agree with you about all this affair you know and i should uncommonly like to let the others know it but between ourselves louise has been so short with me lately so infernally short if you'll pardon my saying so that it's become downright disagreeable to me to run across her 
so i'm afraid i might only make matters worse all round don't you know if i put in an appearance this morning oh has she though ejaculated lord fallowfield in reference presumably to his eldest daughter's reported shortness oh my dear boy don't think of it i wouldn't have you exposed to unnecessary unpleasantness on any account and then as he followed the groom of the chambers up the bare white marble staircase which struck almost vault-like in its chill and silence after the heat and glare and turmoil of the great thoroughfare without he added to himself good fellow shot over has his faults but upon my word when you come to think of it so have all of us very good-hearted sensible fellow at bottom shot over always responds when you talk rationally to him no nonsense about him his lordship sighed as he climbed the marble stair great comfort to me at times shot over shows very proper feeling on the present occasion but naturally feels a diffidence about expressing it and thus in the end it happened that the family council consisted only of the lady of the house her sister lady alicia winterbottom mr ludovic quayle and the parent whom all three of them were each in their several ways so perfectly willing to instruct in his duty towards his children ludovic perhaps displayed less alacrity than usual in offering good advice to his father his policy was rather that of masterly inactivity indeed as the discussion waxed hot his sister's voices rising slightly in tone while lord fallowfield's replies disclosed a vein of dogged obstinacy he withdrew from the field of battle and moved slowly round the room staring abstractedly at the pictures there was a seductive female head by greuze a couple of reposeful landscapes by moorland a little constable waterways trees and a distant woodland swept by wind and weather but upon these the young man bestowed scant attention that which fascinated his gaze was a series of half-length portraits in oval frames representing his parents himself his sisters and brothers these portraits were the work of a lady whose artistic gifts and whose prices were alike modest they were in coloured chalks and had after adorning her own sitting-room for a number of years been given as a wedding present by lady fallowfield to her eldest daughter mr quayle reviewed them leisurely now looking over his shoulder now and again to note how the tide of battle rolled and raising his eyebrows in mute protest when the voices of the two ladies became more than usually elevated you see papa you have not been here lady louisa was saying oh, no i haven't interrupted lord fallowfield and very much i regret that i haven't should have done my best to put a stop to this engagement at the outset before there was any engagement at all in fact and so you cannot possibly know how the whole thing any breaking off i mean would be regarded can't i though said lord fallowfield i know perfectly well how i should regard it myself you do not take the advantages sufficiently into consideration papa of course with their enormous wealth they can afford to do anything mr winterbottom's income was far from princely at this period and lady alicia was able to be at once envious of and injured by the riches of others her wardrobe was limited and she was this morning vexatiously conscious of a warmer hue in the back pleats than in the front breadth of her mauve cashmere dress sparsely decorated with bows of but indifferently white ribbon 
it has enabled them to make an immense success one really gets rather tired of hearing about them but everybody goes to their house you know and says that he is perfectly charming half the parents in london would jump at the chance of one of their girls making such a marriage this from lady louisa mr quayle looked over his shoulder and registered a conviction that his father did not belong to that active parental moiety he sat stubbornly on a straight-backed white-and-gold chair his hands clasped on the top of his favourite gold-headed walking-stick he had refused to part with this weapon on entering the house it gave him a sense of authority of security meanwhile his habitually placid and infantile countenance wore an expression of the acutest worry oh would they though he said in response to his daughter's information regarding the jumping moiety well i shouldn't in point of fact i don't all that you and alicia tell me may be perfectly true my dear louisa i would not for a moment attempt to discredit your statements and i don't wish to be intemperate stupid thing intemperance sign of weakness intemperance still i must repeat and i do repeat i repeat clearly that i do not approve of this engagement did i not prophesy long long ago what my father's attitude would be louisa mr quayle murmured gently over his shoulder then he fell to contemplating the portrait of his brother guy aged seven who was represented arrayed in a brown holland blouse of singular formlessness confined at the waist by a black leather belt and carrying cupid-like in his hands a bow and arrows decorated with sky-blue ribbons were my brothers and i actually such appallingly insipid-looking little idiots he asked himself in that case the years do bring compensation we really bear fewer outward traces of utter imbecility now <laughs> i don't wish to be harsh with you my dears never have been harsh to my knowledge with any one of my children believe in kindness always have been lenient with my children and as indirect consequence thereof note my eldest brother's frequent epistles to the hebrews commented mr quayle softly the sweet simplicity of this counterfeit presentiment of him armed with a pea-green bait in and jointless fishing-rod hardly shadows forth the copious insolvencies of recent times never have approved of harshness continued lord fallowfield still i do feel i should have been given an opportunity of speaking my mind sooner i ought to have been referred to in the first place it was my right it was due to me don't wish to assert my authority in a tyrannical manner hate tyranny always have hated parental tyranny still i feel it was due to me and shot over quite agrees with me talked in a very nice gentlemanly high-minded way about it all this morning did shot over the two ladies exchanged glances drawing themselves up with an assumption of reticence and severity really exclaimed lady alicia it seems a pity papa that shotover's actions are not a little more in keeping with his conversation then but lord fallowfield only grasped the head of his walking-stick the tighter congratulating himself the while on the unshakable firmness both of his mental and physical attitude oh hmm, yes he said rising to heights of quite reckless defiance i know there's a great deal of prejudice against shotover just now among you he alluded to it this morning with a great deal of feeling 
he was not bitter but he is very much hurt it shot over you're hard on him alicia it's a painful thing to observe upon but you are hard and so is winterbottom i regret to be obliged to put it so plainly but i was displeased by winterbottom's tone about your brother last time you and he were down at whitney from saturday to monday at all events papa george has never cost his parents a single penny since he left balliol lady alicia replied with some spirit and a very high colour but lord fallowfield was not to be beguiled into discussion of side issues though his amiable face was crumpled and puckered by the effort to present an uncompromising front to the enemy some of you ought to have written and informed me as soon as you had any suspicion of what was likely to happen not to do so was underhand i do not wish to employ strong language but i do consider it underhand shotover tells me he would have written if he'd only known but of course in the present state of feeling he was shut out from it all ludovic did know i presume and i'm sorry to say it but i consider it very unhandsome of ludovic not to have communicated with me at this juncture mr quayle desisted from contemplation of the family portraits and approached the belligerents threading his way carefully between the many tables and chairs there was much furniture yet but few ornaments in lady louisa's boudoir the young man's long neck was directed slightly forward and his expression was one of polite inquiry it is very warm this morning he remarked parenthetically and as a family we appear to feel it you did me the honour to refer to me just now i believe my dear father since my two younger sisters have been banished it has happily become possible to hear both you and myself speak uh, you were saying that you might very properly have written and told me about this business and given me an opportunity of expressing my opinion before things reached ahead mr quayle drew forward a chair and seated himself with mild deliberation lord fallowfield began to fidget very clever fellow ludovic he said to himself wonderfully cool head and he became suspicious of his own wisdom in having made direct appeal to a person thus distinguished oh i might have written my dear father i admit that i might but there were difficulties to begin with i in this particular shared shotover's position louisa had not seen fit to honour me with her confidence i beg your pardon louisa you were saying and so you see i really hadn't anything to write about oh but oh, this uh, this young man lord fallowfield was sensible of a singular reluctance to mention the name of his proposed son-in-law this young calmedy you know he's an intimate friend of yours oh, difficulty number two for i doubted how you would take the matter oh did you though said lord fallowfield with an appreciable smoothing of crumples and puckers i'm extremely attached to dicky carmody and i didn't want to put a spoke in his wheel oh of course not my dear boy of course not nasty unpleasant business putting spokes in other men's wheels especially when they're your friends i acknowledge that oh i'm sure you do mr quayle replied indulgently you are always on the side of doing the generous thing my dear father when you see it 
here his lordship's grasp upon the head of his walking-stick relaxed sensibly oh, thank you ludovic very pleasant thing to have one's son say to one i must say uncommonly pleasant alas he felt himself to be slipping slipping deuce a shrewd diplomatic fellow ludovic he remarked to himself somewhat ruefully all the same the little compliment warmed him through he knew it made for defeat yet for the life of him he could not but relish it very pleasant he repeated but that's not the point my dear boy now about this young fellow carmody's proposal for your sister constance mr quayle looked full at the speaker and for once his expression held no hint of impertinence or raillery dicky calmedy is as fine a fellow as ever fought or won an almost hopeless battle he said he's somewhat heroic in my opinion and he is very lovable oh is he though lord fallowfield commented quite gently a woman who understood him and had some idea of all he must have gone through could not well help being very proud of him yet even while speaking the young man knew his advocacy to be but half-hearted he praised his friend rather than his friend's contemplated marriage but his dear old lordship's not very quick he'll never spot that he added mentally and then he reflected that little lady constance was not very quick either she might marry obediently even gladly was it probable she would develop sufficient imagination ever to understand and therefore be proud of richard carmody he is brilliant too ludovic continued he is as well read as any man of his standing whom i know and he can think for himself and when he's in the vein he is unusually good company everybody says he is extraordinarily agreeable broke in lady alicia old lady coombe martin was saying only yesterday george and i met her at the oldham's louisa you know at dinner that she had not heard better conversation for years and she was brought up among macaulay and rogers and all the holland house set so her opinion really is worth having but lord fallowfield's grasp had tightened again upon his walking-stick was she though he said rather incoherently oh pray from all this don't run away with the notion carmody is a prig ludovic interposed he is as keen a sportsman as you are in as far of course as sport is possible for him here lord fallowfield finding himself somewhat hard pressed sought relief in movement he turned sideways throwing one shapely leg across the other and grasping the supporting walking-stick in his right hand while with the left he laid hold of the back of the white and gold chair oh, oh, oh yes he said valiantly directing his gaze upon the tree-tops in the park i quite accept all you tell me i don't want to detract from your friend's merits poor mean sort of thing to detract from any man's friend's merits gentleman-like young feller carmody the little i have seen of him reminds me of my poor friend his father i liked his father but you see my dear boy there is well there's no denying it there is and shot over a quite uh, oh of course papa we all know what you mean lady louisa interposed with a certain loftiness and it must be owned asperity i have never pretended there was not something one had to get accustomed to 
but really you forget all about it almost immediately everyone does one can see that don't they elicia if you had met sir richard everywhere as we have this season you would realise how very very soon that is quite forgotten is it though said lord fallowfield somewhat incredulously his face had returned to a sadly puckered condition oh yes i assure you nobody thinks of it after just the first little shock don't you know this from lady louisa i think one feels it's not quite nice to dwell on a thing of that kind her sister chimed in reddening again it ought to be ignored from a girl the speaker had enjoyed a reputation for great refinement of mind i think it amounts to being more than not nice echoed lady louisa i think it is positively wrong for nobody can tell what accident may not happen to any of us at any moment and so i am not at all sure that it is not actually unchristian to make a thing like that into a serious objection you know papa there must be deformed people in some families just as there is consumption or insanity or underbreeding or attenuated salaries mr quayle softly murmured it becomes evident my dear father you must not expect too much of sons or i of brothers-in-law think of old lord soakington i mean the great uncle of the present man of course of his temper lady louisa proceeded regardless of ironical comment it amounted almost to mania and yet lady dorothy hellard would certainly have married him there never was any question about it hmm, would she though bad old man soakington never did approve of soakington of course she would mrs crookenden who had always been devoted to her told me so oh did she though said lord fallowfield but the marriage was broken off my dear he made this remark triumphantly feeling it showed great acuteness oh dear no indeed it wasn't his daughter replied lord soakington behaved in the most outrageous manner at the last moment he never proposed to her at all and then it came out that for years he'd been living with one of the still-room maids louisa cried lady alicia turning scarlet had he though the old scoundrel papa cried lady alicia oh so he was my dear very bad old man soakington very amusing old man too though <laughs> and overcome by certain reminiscences lord fallowfield chuckled a little shamefacedly his second daughter thereupon arranged the folds of her mauve cashmere with a bent head it is very clear papa and shotover have been together to-day she thought shotover's influence over papa is always demoralising it's too extraordinary the subjects men joke about and call amusing when they get together a pause followed a brief cessation of hostilities during which mr quayle looked inquiringly at his three companions hmm, alicia fancies herself shocked he said to himself and my father fancies himself wicked and louisa fancies herself a chosen vessel strong delusion is upon them all the only question is whose delusion is the strongest and who consequently will first renew the fray ah the chosen vessel thought as much you see papa one really must be practical lady louisa began in clear emphatic tones 
we all know how you've spoiled constance she and shotover have always been your favourites but even you must admit that shotover's wretched extravagance has impoverished you and helped to impoverish all your other children and you must also admit notwithstanding your partiality for constance that i want to see connie i want to hear from her herself that she broke out lord fallowfield his kindly heart yearned over this ewe lamb of his large flock but the eldest of the said flock interposed sternly oh no no she cried pray papa not yet connie is quite contented and reasonable i believe she's out shopping just now too and while you are in this state of indecision yourself it would be the greatest mistake for you to see her and it would only disturb and upset her wouldn't it alicia and the lady thus appealed to assented it is true that when she arrived at the great house in albert gate this morning she had found little lady constance with her pretty baby face sadly marred by tears but she had put that down to the exigencies of the situation all young ladies of refined mind cried under kindred circumstances had she not herself wept copiously for the better part of a week before finally deciding to accept george winterbottom moreover a point of jealousy undoubtedly pricked lady alicia in this connection she was far from being a cruel woman but comparing her own modest material advantages in marriage with the surprisingly handsome ones offered to her little sister she could not be wholly sorry that the latter's rose was not entirely without thorns that the flower in question should have been thornless as well as so very fine and large would surely have trenched on injustice to herself this thought had perhaps unconsciously influenced her when enlarging on the becomingness of a refined indifference to sir richard carmody's deformity in her heart of hearts she was disposed perhaps unconsciously to hail rather than deplore the fact of that same deformity for did it not tend subjectively to equalise her lot and that of her little sister and modify the otherwise humiliating disparity of their respective fortunes therefore she capped lady louisa's speech by saying immediately yes indeed papa it would only be an unkindness to run any risk of upsetting connie no really nice girl ever really quite likes the idea of marriage oh doesn't she though commented lord fallowfield with an air of receiving curious scientific information oh no of course not how could she and then papa you know how you've always indulged connie lady alicia's voice was slightly peevish in tone she was not in very good health at the present time with the consequence that her face showed thin and bird-like while notwithstanding the genial heat of the summer's day she presented a starved and chilly appearance always indulged connie she repeated and that has inclined her to be rather selfish and fanciful the above statements both regarding his own conduct and the effect of that conduct upon his little ewe lamb nettled the amiable nobleman considerably he faced round upon the speaker with an intention of reprimand but in doing so his eyes were arrested by his daughter's faded dress and disorganised complexion he relented poor thing looks ill he thought a man's an unworthy brute whoever says a sharp word to a woman in her condition and before he had time to find a word other than sharp 
Lady Louisa Barking returned to the charge. Exactly, she asserted. Alicia is perfectly right. At present, Connie is quite reasonable. And all we entreat, Papa, is that you will let her remain so until you've made up your own mind. Do pray let us be dignified. One knows how the servants get hold of anything of this kind and discuss it if there is any want of dignity or any indecision. That is too odious. And I must really think just a little of Mr. Barking and myself in the matter. It has all gone on in our house, you see. One must consider appearances, and with all the recent gossip about Shotover, we do not want another esclandre, the servants knowing all about it, too. And then, with all your partiality for Constance, you cannot suppose she will have many opportunities of marrying men with forty or fifty thousand a year. No, papa, as Louisa says, in your partiality for Connie, you must not entirely forget the claims of your other children. She must not be encouraged to think exclusively of herself, and it's not fair that you should think exclusively of her. I know that George and I are poor, but it is through no fault of our own. He most honourably refuses to take anything from his mother, and you know how small my private income is. Yet no one can accuse George of lack of generosity. When any of my family want to come to us, he always makes them welcome. Maggie only left us last Thursday, and Emily comes tomorrow. I know we can't do much. It's not possible with our small means and establishment. But what little we can do, George is most willing should be done. Excellent fellow, Winterbottom, Lord Fallowfield put in soothingly very steady painstaking man winterbottom his second daughter looked at him reproachfully thank you papa she said i own i was a little hurt just now by the tone in which you alluded to george oh were you though oh i'm sure i'm very sorry my dear alicia hate to hurt anybody especially one of my own children unnatural thing to hurt one of your own children but you see this feeling of all of yours about shotover has been very painful to me i never have liked divisions in families never know where they may lead to nasty uncomfortable things divisions in families well papa i can only say that divisions are almost invariably caused by a want of the sense of duty lady louisa's voice was stern and if people are overindulged, they become selfish, and then, of course, they lose their sense of duty. My sister is a notable logician, Mr. Quayle murmured under his breath. If logic ruled life, how clear and how simple our course. But then, unfortunately, it doesn't. Shortover has really no one but himself to thank for any bitterness that his brothers and sisters may feel towards him. He has thrown away his chances, has got the whole family talked about in a most objectionable manner, and has been a serious encumbrance to you, and indirectly to all of us. We have all suffered quite enough trouble and annoyance already, and so I must protest, Papa, I must very strongly and definitely protest against Connie being permitted, still more encouraged, to do exactly the same thing. Lord Fallowfield, still grasping his walking-stick, though he could not but fear that that trusted weapon had proved faithless and sadly failed in its duty of support, gazed distractedly at the speaker. 
visions of Jewish moneylenders, of ladies more fair and kind than wise, of guinea points at whist, of the prize ring of Baden-Baden, of Newmarket and Doncaster, arose confusedly before him. What the deuce! He didn't like bad language, but really, what the dickens had all these to do with his ewe lamb, innocent little Constance, her virgin white body and soul, and her sweet wide-eyed prettiness? My dear Louisa, no doubt you know what you mean, but I give you my word I don't, he began. Here, here, my dear father, put in Mr. Quayle, there I am with you. Louisa's wing is strong and her range is great. I myself on this occasion find it not a little difficult to follow her. Oh, nonsense, Ludovic, almost snapped the lady. You follow me perfectly, or can do so if you use your common sense. Papa must face the fact that Constance cannot afford, that we cannot afford to have her throw away her chances, as Shotover has thrown away his. We all have a duty, not only to ourselves, but to each other. Inclination must give way to duty, though I do not say Constance exhibits any real disinclination to this marriage. She is a little flurried. As Alicia said just now, every really nice-minded girl is flurried at the idea of marriage. She ought to be. I consider it only delicate that she should be. But she understands, I have pointed it out to her, that her money and her position and those two big houses, Brockhurst and the one in Lowndes Square, will be of the greatest advantage to the girls and to her brothers. It's not as if she was a nobody. The scullery maid can marry whom she likes, of course. But in our rank of life it is different. A girl is bound to think of her family as well as of herself. She is bound to consider... The groom of the chambers opened the door and advanced solemnly across the boudoir to Lord Fallowfield. Sir Richard Calmady is in the smoking-room, my lord, he said, to see you. End of chapter 4 of Book 4